Welcome to Hall Fights, a nerdonearth.com podcast where we look at the Marvel heroes of Netflix as we prepare for the launch of the Defenders series. First up, we look at Daredevil, the blind attorney who is also the man without fear. As the only character with two seasons thus far, how are those seasons and how does Daredevil work as the building block to launch the Netflix world? Earth Nerd Atkins joins me as we discuss it today. Welcome to Hall Fights, where we talk about the Marvel Universe Netflix series, the characters that have inspired these shows, and what we are looking forward to in its next iteration in The Defenders. So today, we're going to start at the very beginning with Daredevil. And joining me today is Earth Nerd Atkins, who's here to uh, to talk about Daredevil, uh, Matt Murdock, and uh, a little bit about the Netflix series. So, Mike, talk to me a little bit about, like, how did you first come to Daredevil? Like, did you watch the show, then see the comics? Uh, Give me a little bit of background of your history with the character. Well, unfortunately for me, probably my primary source, like my first real exposure to Daredevil was likely the Ben Affleck movie years and years ago. Um, Because I didn't come into being a comic reader uh, until a little later uh, than that. But when I got my first subscription to Marvel Unlimited, uh, you actually recommended that I start with uh, Ramita Jr.'s Man Without Fear and then go back um, a little earlier than that to uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil stuff. Um, so that, that it came second, but uh, obviously I would consider that a much, uh, much greater value than the, uh, than the movie starring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. Yeah, so Daredevil is this interesting character in Marvel's history because he was created around the same time as a lot of their iconic characters. In fact, his first issue, Daredevil number one, appeared in April of 1964. He was written by Stan Lee, an artist named Bill Everett, uh, kind of did the layouts. And then some of the character design was actually done by the legendary Jack Kirby, who for the most part gets the most credit for Daredevil's kind of now legendary Billy Club. So he's been around as a character for a long, long time. But in that time, um, he's kind of gone through different waves of what he's like as a character. So just to set it all up, let's talk a little bit about his origin story. So uh, Daredevil in the comic book lore and history is a a young boy named Matt Murdock who gets uh, radioactive substances of some kind. Uh, on his eyes, it blinds him, but it also heightens all of his other senses, giving him um, kind of a unique set of superpowers and also a weakness that I think sometimes plays into the the character. So um, through that, he, he then kind of goes on to become a hero. His dad is a boxer um, battling Jack Murdoch, is what he's known as, who uh, eventually... Um, is taken out because he refuses to throw a fight. And then from there, Daredevil kind of goes into this wandering history and backstory. So the thing that's really interesting is when Daredevil first comes out, he is much more of a swashbuckler kind of figure, which I think is really interesting for you to think about having been somebody who's just started reading into the spots where he's already known as a little bit of a darker character. What, What do you think about Daredevil and the idea that like, He'd be the guy running around firing off one-liners. Yeah, uh, I mean, it certainly doesn't fit with 
my conception or I guess my priming of the character based on the sources that I've been exposed to. Um, and it does seem kind of at odds that somebody with devil built into their, you know, their name would be the, the jocular kind that he would just go around cracking jokes that, that seems at odds. Um, so yeah, I'd have a hard time envisioning that. I mean, they, they keep, there's humor in a lot of the Daredevil stuff, but not much of it comes from Matt Murdock himself. It tends to come from some of his kind of tag-along characters like Foggy. Yeah, and I, and I think that that is a core part of the character. A lot of um, a lot of heroes sort of have their sideline, sidekick kind of people. And Daredevil definitely has some strong ones that I think help make him who he is and what he is as a character. That, that all sort of changed, though. That swashbuckling history in the comics changed uh, when a guy named Klaus Jansen started writing the book and was partnered with a young artist named Frank Miller. And they began to take Daredevil into a much more um, darker uh, history and place. And I, I know you've read a lot of those comics. Tell um, tell me, what do you think about those? And, and how do have they stood out? At this point, some of those comics now are almost you know, 25, 30 years old. How have they stood the test of time for you as a relatively new comic book reader? I think that they, the story, like the essence of those arcs, especially the ones written by Miller, um, they hold up extremely well. I do, you know, I went back and, and reread a lot of those um, getting ready for this podcast. And I do, there, there's a there's a cynical, newer comic edge to me that says that some of the art like could have like if, if those stories have been transplanted to the style of art that tends to dominate comics nowadays that the art would pop a little bit more um but apart from that like the actual stories themselves are really well developed characters are uh you know they they would totally they they could they might could do with a facelift like depending on your art preference but them as books like that they've stood the test of time extremely well. And I think that as we'll get into a little bit later, that the daredevil Netflix television series is a, is a testament to that statement as well. Yeah, I, I think definitely. And I think it's a place where those modern stories for the most part, get lifted and dropped right into the show. We'll, we'll talk some more about that, but it's interesting to me that stories that were written in the, you know, mid to late seventies are pretty much turned into what we see as sort of the modern comic um, adaptation of, of Daredevil. So from there, um, with with the uh, the run that Miller does, it, it sort of steadily becomes the kind of thing where uh, Daredevil is a much um, much darker character, and we see that throughout uh, his run and some different things that happen. There's sort of an epic series of. Uh, of comics that really start with Miller writing and running through there that, uh, that kind of culminate in Daredevil 181. Uh, I think it's one of the best comic books ever written. Yeah. Um, it, it is an epic moment in the life of a character. I can actually remember for a long time as a young kid, teenager collecting comics, it was sort of the unicorn I was always looking for. <laughs> and I remember, uh, walking to the comic shop near my granddad's house on vacation and finding it and, and begging my dad, <laughs> whatever it took to buy that, that issue. So it's, um, it's definitely a, uh, a character that has sort of stood the test of time. Now in pop culture, you, you mentioned, uh, in 2003 Fox, 
who acquired Daredevil around the same time they acquired the rights to characters like The Punisher, Fantastic Four, some of those, released a, a movie that stars Ben Affleck as uh, Matt Murdock, that stars uh, Jennifer Gardner as his love interest, Electra. Colin Farrell plays the notorious villain Bullseye. And it is, by most accounts, a train wreck of a movie. Um, you mentioned that's where you first encountered Daredevil. Uh, thoughts on that film? Uh, not many that couldn't go uncensored. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oddly enough, the I, I was... I was talking about that movie with some friends the other day, and I, I think I've come to understand that so much of that film has been repressed in my memory because I'm pretty good about, like, if you give me the title of a movie, I, I can give you a pretty good list of the actors that were in it. The other day we were talking about Bullseye. Uh, some friends of mine uh, and myself were talking about Bullseye, and we were like, who was it that played him in that in the Ben Affleck movie? And for like 10 minutes, we were going, we were going, I, I, you know, I can picture this guy's face and, and I, like it, we had to go to IMDb, which is a pretty rare thing for the, this particular group of folks. But to remember that Colin Farrell was in that movie at all, which is crazy because Bullseye still to this day is one of my favorite villains, like in all of comicdom across all of the publishers. I think Bullseye is one of the scariest villains. Uh, and so for his, his one film you know, adaptation appearance to be so completely shut down and out of my brain that, that speaks volumes and volumes against that movie. Well, and, and man, it just is one of those things. They, they try some interesting things that I think, you know, deserve to be applauded, but it just doesn't work. So, for example, um, Michael Clark Duncan plays Kingpin in that movie, mm. uh, which is a different take on that character for sure. It changes that character's race on film. Um, like you said, Colin Farrell at the time was one of the considered one of the better actors in the world as bullseye who, you know, I am with you is at his core, a really scary psychopathic character that they've sort of now damaged to the point that I don't know we'll ever see him on film again, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah. Cause in the comics world, he's still prevalent and shows up in lots of different places as a scary dude too. Like, I mean, he is a frightening yeah. character when he's, when he's written well. Um, and it, and it's just, uh, you, you look back, um, the director for that movie was really known as a screenwriter and, um, and not even really for screenwriting credits that you would think, Oh, that makes sense that he would make a superhero movie. Um, w one of his major credits uh, is the uh, the movie Simon Birch. You ever seen that movie? Yeah, I remember Simon Birch. Uh, would Would you list it as? Yeah, that guy should be able to make a superhero movie. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, so it's um, it's really interesting. I I um, I recently rewatched part of it. I don't know that it's as bad as it sometimes gets tagged, but, but it's not good <laughs> at all. And so, um, understandably it, it was with great joy. The announcement came that somehow Marvel had acquired the rights for daredevil back. And, uh, we're going to make him the first of the, the what they were then going to call the Marvel Netflix universe. So we get that announcement, um, that daredevil is going to be the first character that they hopefully are going to do more that it would focus on sort of the street level of the Marvel universe. If the Avengers are at the top of the skyscrapers fighting all the, the alien invaders, 
Daredevil and the other parts of the uh, the Netflix universe would be dealing with the aftermath of that down uh, down below. So. With that in mind, uh, what did you think about Daredevil season one, knowing um, it launches this whole new, brand new Marvel universe on Netflix? I stinking loved season one and season two. Um, the The show did so much right. And I think, like you're saying, one of the essential successful elements of that show is that it does keep the heroes, quote unquote, you know, on the ground or at ground level. Uh, you know, Matt Murdock, he's got these abilities, but, you know, otherwise he's, he's a lot like, you know, Batman or even the hand that he ends up fighting where, yeah, they have this, this skill set, but they're just, they're just dudes, you know, and, and he's a dude that sees a lot of brokenness, especially in the system that he's um, professionally involved in uh, as a lawyer. And he just takes it upon himself to do something about it. Uh, I think at one point in the uh, in the first season, he even uses this phrase that he, in him law meets reality, um, where you know where the system fails, he's there to execute the justice that otherwise sometimes goes um, you know unserved or undone in the court system. You know during his during his day job, effectively. Um, so there, there, I think that there's a lot of really interesting. Um, relatability and you know admiration where you're not just watching somebody that is at such a high level compared to the 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 human villains that he's fighting um that that it's inconsequential this is a guy who when you cut him he bleeds you know he he takes time to recover from wounds he you know his day job coupled with this night job wears down on him and it affects his relationships. I mean, like you see this guy's life fall apart, uh, you know, as this other piece kind of becomes a large part of it. And, um, it, it was just, it was, it was really masterfully done. I mean, both, both seasons, very, very good at keeping it from feeling like really, really quote unquote superhero -y, you know what I mean? Like the most comic booky thing that happens in either of them is the stuff in the second season where they're like siphoning blood from the the teenagers, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything else, it's like, Oh, he's just in New York, you know, like our New York, our worlds, our realities, New York, he'd be operating like this. Um, so apart from that, you know, more comic -y element to the second season, everything else felt really real. And, and I think that was a big part of why that show works really well for me. Yeah. So when I think about season one, I, I think there's sort of a couple main themes that really stand out. And one, I think you, you hit on is that he is human and fighting against incredible odds. Uh, I think that this is where he shines as a character. Uh, Daredevil sort of works best when he's this guy who's against these odds that are incredible, but he's unwilling to back down. It, it's what makes him a hero. And they do a, a lot in season one with sort of some flashbacks to his father who is cut in some ways from the same cloth, right? Unwilling to do the thing that he thinks is wrong at the exact moment when, uh, you know, it cost him. And yeah. I, I think that that's a, a really interesting thing. I, I appreciated that. I think one of the things they did in the first season was really smart is they gave us an origin story without giving us like an origin episode. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're just in a spot now where it's, there's a little bit of like origin story fatigue. There's so many superheroes and properties that there's just too much of, 
hey, let's go back and, and reset. So we're we're able to gratefully say we're recording this in the time where the latest uh, Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming's come out. And, uh, and one of the smartest things they did is they just sort of said, hey, we're going to assume that you guys know how Spider-Man got his powers. We're going to give you two lines about it in the movie, and then we're going to move on. Yeah, and I think that that assumption, like, I mean, you use that a word, and I think that is exactly what the film industry, what the you know, what Netflix has done with this writing is 20 years ago, these stories and a lot of these characters that are now mainstream were not so. I mean, they were talked about by, you know, musty men in back rooms of comic shops that were holes in the wall and had stigmas attached to all of them. And now it's just like, we're going to assume that you know these things because they've been out there for a long time. Their prevalence has grown, their popularity has grown, and we're not going to throw money at retelling this same story that you've probably already been exposed to a half dozen times. I, I like that streamlined approach. Um, usually I think that it's a little risky to make that kind of assumption with an audience, but it's happening more and more frequently. And I think with that frequency, it, there's more forgiveness because that assumption is slowly becoming a reality, not just an assumption. Well, and it, it does two things, right? It, it assumes that your audience is smart which I don't ever think is a bad thing. And it also assumes if you need more, you can go get it, yeah. right? Which is the reality we we live in. If you if you want to, I almost wish every Marvel property ended with a thing of like, hey, if you want to know more about this character, you should go read these comics. Uh, they don't do that. But I, but I did appreciate in Daredevil, they gave us just enough in season one of an origin story without it being overwhelming, right? Without it being... Uh, a heavy-handed, this-is-who-he-is episode that I just thought was a really smart approach by them because there had to have been a script that was Daredevil Season 1, Episode 1 that was just this origin story. And by cutting it into pieces and and spreading it out, we get the background of what happened with his dad, how he eventually comes to be uh, mentored by the stick, and all all those sorts of things. so let's talk a little bit about season one. I, I appreciated the street level of it from the very get-go. Daredevil's fighting sort of common crimes. Um, and sometimes dark common crimes, right? There's a little bit of, you know, human trafficking that he fights and those kinds of things. I I think that that helps really sort of set the tone, not just for this show, but for the whole Netflix series that I've, I've really appreciated. This, this idea of him just fighting crime that we actually experience day-to-day, you mean? Yeah, I just think it makes it more more on a level of um, relatability and humanness. Uh, and then that humanity shows up in that we see him get wounded. We see him, you know, get badly hurt. And uh, it, I think that sort of message is, uh, is an interesting one to think about. Like, so maybe anybody could be the hero the first time you get punched down. But what about the second and the third and the fourth? You know, to the point that other people probably even question his sanity as he goes back out again to to fight the fight. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about season one. Uh, so we, you mentioned they pulled a lot of these storylines straight from the Frank Miller era. This one's no exception. And one of the things that they did is made uh, Wilson Fisk, also known as the Kingpin, as the major villain for season one. How did you feel about uh, Kingpin and especially about Vincent... Dion Forio's portrayal of him. You know, I, I'm glad you asked about 
Vincent, whose last name I'm not even going to try to attempt, um, <laughs> his his portrayal of the character because I was not sold on him for a long time as as the kingpin because he had this he brought this sort of timidity and vulnerability to the character really early on, um, but as as his character is more developed and you see a lot more of his backstory, a lot of that makes sense. And then when he, when he is triggered and when he does get upset, it is, it is a frightening transition. I mean, that dude is not just scary kingpin all the time, which, which would create this like baseline exposure to a guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, Oh, the kingpin is always this man. No, instead they, they've done this thing where it's like, he's got this flat line where he operates coolly and calmly and still, you know, an off-putting kind of presence in a room. But then when he gets pissed, it is it is like a switch gets flipped and it's a huge character shift. You know what I mean? Like there's a big transition in those moments, and that's when you start seeing the kingpin, like as as he might more frequently be depicted in the comic books, where I, I like that that they set it up where he's not just always this angry guy but that he's triggered like that dynamism i think added a lot to that character yeah and they, and i think they did a lot to to make it so that he comes off in a very human way right he he has this um we see that dating relationship that he has in season one we see how that plays out and and those kinds of things and you're right i think that makes it when he does go uh, to the angry side, it 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 shows up even more so. There's an intensity just kind of across the board with that character. When they announced him as an actor, I, I was a little bit unsure, and then I was really grateful when uh, when he showed up as well as I thought he did in season one. I, I thought he has um, been one of the better villains in recent Marvel work for sure. Yeah, glad they keep you know they keep him on on the radar as well in season two. So uh, you know it wasn't like. They didn't treat, they did the same thing kind of with the Punisher a little bit too, where he had like his arc, right? And it seems to come to an end, but they, they, they figure out a way to keep from just going from narrative arc to narrative arc where all these things connect because that's more like real life. (laughs) Like, it's not like you just put the kingpin in a corner and he's quiet, uh, you know? And I, I like that idea that it's not just like, oh, okay, well this six issue arc is done now on to the next thread. It's like, no, like you still got to deal with this dude. Uh, and I appreciate the way that they strung that together across both seasons with uh, Kingpin in particular. So as you shift and move into season two of Daredevil, kind of overwhelmingly among the critics, season two is not regarded as uh, as good as season one um, for lots of different reasons. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. You mentioned part of season two from the get-go focuses on uh, the Punisher, who is a Marvel character that has a long history and backstory of basically being a vigilante. So, so tell me a little bit about what did you think about season two, especially early on when the, uh, the Punisher is such a major focus. Yeah. And again, with the Punisher, they, they did a really good job. I thought of, of motivating him and of casting him in not, not as John Bernthal, but I mean like his character, establishing his character as a human who you know, has re- responded or reacted or is the victim of certain things in his life and has led him to this point. And I thought he made a really good foil to Daredevil and they and they showed it really well in that rooftop scene where Daredevil uh, and Punisher are having this philosophical almost debate about how, how 
both of them are vigilantes, but they're doing it in radically different ways. Um, I am grateful, though, that they didn't make that all of season two. Like it was the first four or maybe six episodes, um, and then and then the narrative shifts. Like I don't think the Punisher all by himself could have carried season two. Um, yeah, but they what they I thought it was I thought it was pretty well done. Um, especially like I said that that kind of foil, you know, dichotomic. A relationship between the two of them and actually having them have this really heated debate about who's doing things the right way. Um, it, it was interesting for, for somebody who enjoys arguments and philosophy as much as I do. I appreciated that bit. And I don't think there's any doubt at all. Like early in that season, that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to give you that portrayal of, uh, you know, foiling these two characters who in some ways you could say do the exact same thing, but in the reality is sort of come to a completely different place. I think it's really interesting. I am curious that they have announced that Punisher is going to get his own season in uh, on Netflix. And I, boy, that makes me kind of wait and see. <laughs> I, I just don't know how that's going to work. Um, there certainly are some great Punisher storylines that they can mine from the comic books. But uh, based on what they've set up so far in, in the Daredevil season two, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure I'm sold on it either, but we'll we'll watch it anyway, I'm sure. Nerds on Earth will. Yeah, for sure. And so you are right, and though that part of the next part of the season focuses on uh, the character of Elektra. So tell me, what do you know about Elektra, both from the comics and then how they portray her as a character in season two? Uh, I'd, I've read her kind of all over the place in the comic uh, comics, actually. You know, started, of course, with her inception in the Frank Miller uh, run of Daredevil. I've read her as a member of a couple of different teams, including the Thunderbolts mo- most recently, probably. Um, I think that's her most recent team that I've actually read, at least. Sure. Um, you know, awesome ninja-y female. Um, doesn't, you know, like, at least initially doesn't really have any powers you know very much fit in the the same kind of cast of characters that she tends to run with in in the early in the frank miller stuff like with daredevil and uh but yeah i I didn't have any real issues with her portrayal Uh, some people took issue with like her i don't know her her race or ethnicity it didn't really bother me um i liked the kind of mystique that they attached to her as this this black cloud weapon um, and her affiliation with the hand possibly going forward. I know that she's already um, listed as a character who's going to appear in the Defenders, so I'm curious to see how, how that plays out with her newly forged affiliation with, with that organization. Um, so I, 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 they did a really good job setting her up for more of what I want to see, and I think that that's, that's laudable enough. Yeah, definitely. In the in the comics, she sort of has this rich history through the Miller run, um, dies at one point, and for a long time was one of those characters that no one was allowed to touch. And then, you know, it's comic books. She gets resurrected and becomes sort of this different thing. So um, I think it's a, a, a it's going to be curious to see how they use her moving forward. And, um, and yeah, you're definitely right. She does seem to at least feature at least partially in the Defender series. So we'll, we'll see kind of where that goes. Uh, I did want to talk about a couple of the other cast members. Um, if we could, I, I love the portrayal of Foggy Nelson. Yes. Um, 
Eldon Henson is the guy that plays uh, that character who I mainly knew as one of the Bash brothers from the Mighty Ducks movies. Yeah. And um, he is uh, he's outstanding. And Foggy Nelson uh, makes Daredevil work to me. It's, it's one of those side characters that if you really, if, if a run of a Daredevil is going really well, it's because they really understand Foggy. So it was awesome to see him there. Also, Debran Wall plays Kieran Page, who um, throughout season one is kind of involved and then moves into season two. Uh, that character in the comics has a tragic twist mm-hmm. that honestly I hope they don't put into the TV show, but they seem to be leaning that it may head that way. Um, so it, it'll be curious to see, um, both of those seasons that I, th- I do like, so in, in a moment of truthfulness, both of these seasons, I think at times are a little weak. Um, Netflix seems to be buying these shows in sort of 13 episode seasons. And honestly, sometimes I wonder, man, if somebody did a nine or 10 episode, if it wouldn't be tighter and move along quicker. Um, but, but both, I think both these seasons are worth checking out. Uh, of the two, which one would you say is the better to you? Of the two seasons? Yeah. Oh, hands down, first season. I mean, it's it is it, it's not a no contest. It's not like the first one just absolutely puts the second one to shame. And I think that you can read hot spots on the internet that certainly think that way. But I don't I, I don't think it's that that much of a disparity. But I, I do think that the first one wins. It's very 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 well done. Well, and then let's talk a little bit about how what we are even calling this whole series of uh, of podcasts on the Nerds on Earth uh, website, which is Hall Fights. Uh, Daredevil season one has this tremendous Hall fight that from the get go was one of the things people all said, "Whoa, that is uh, an amazing thing." Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, so you probably knew about it when you first watched it. What uh what stood out to you when that fight finally hits the screen? Uh, yeah, it had certainly been hyped. I mean, um, when Daredevil season one actually dropped, I was in the middle of a, a certain physical training regiment that I, I ended up kind of turning off all streaming media out of my house to kind of keep me motivated and focused. Um, so I didn't get to it until after people were already, you know, building it up in my brain, um, which didn't hurt it at all. I mean, it was still awesome. And I don't think I realized going into it that it was staged as kind of a, a single shot. You know what I mean? Um, and those those kind of those kind of scenes or sequences where it's done all at once that's a really difficult thing to pull off. Period. Especially when you add in like like the beginning. I think of Serenity as a a single shot. You know, as they move through the cabin and in, you know kind of introduce you to all the characters. But that isn't anything remotely comparable to what they pulled off in daredevil with when you add in not just staging is like moving the camera around, but all of the choreography that went into that thing. And then they replicated it again um, or something very close to it in the second season with daredevil had that gun strapped on his hand um, and was fighting off all the bikers. And, and I, I didn't feel watching that second one that it, that it was like this recycled thing. I, it was, it was new and it was still stinking awesome to watch. It really is. It comes at the end of second episode, which is entitled cut man of season one. And, uh, it, it is worth watching that episode just to see that fight. And then moving forward, they, they sort of, it, it's become almost a little bit of a cliche in some of the other seasons of these Marvel characters. Uh, and even the defenders preview definitely shows a hall fight, but, uh, I think it stands out. And, and I, I think the thing I appreciate is, 
um, these fights are really well choreographed and really well done to the point that um, if they weren't, it would really hinder these shows. And instead, I think I find them a whole lot more believable. And um, and it did. It hooked people. I think part of why Daredevil Season 1 is so highly regarded is because they did such a great job with that choreography from the get-go. And um, and that fight showing up in the, the end of Episode 2 really sort of cements that. Mm-hmm. So as we move into the Defenders, what do you think is going to happen next for uh, Matt Murdock and Daredevil? Um, you know, I, I tried to put some intelligent thought into that. And to be completely honest, I'm not 100% sure because in part because I don't have – I watched Luke Cage. Um, I was able to get that television show under my belt. Um, but I didn't watch – I still haven't watched Iron Fist or Jessica Jones. They're on my to-do list, of course. Um, but I don't know how those two characters are working and what they're going to bring to the table as far as this like big team element is concerned. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see, you know, what they're going to be up against together that would justify all four of them and like being together and require all of them. I'm really curious to see how they how they do that um, and keep it street level. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, as, as we're recording, they have uh, the premiere of those has happened. And one of the things that you hear from critics is the first couple episodes of Defenders is a slow burn to get to the point where they sort of have that all for one moment. I, I think it's interesting that it include Daredevil and the Defenders. Um, the other three characters are really closely aligned in the comic books. Um, Luke Cage and Iron Fist have a long history. Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have a long history. Daredevil's sort of the odd man out. Not that he's never interacted with these characters, but it, it's not as such as an obvious um, place to go. So it'll be curious to see sort of how that works. But I, I definitely am excited about uh, Defenders, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think that, that formula that you talked about, that idea of them slowly building up to that team point, is something that Marvel has done successfully before, where they don't just... They don't play it like a uh, like a D and D campaign where it's just like and everybody starts off in a tavern, you know. And there's this already this established <laughs> narrative. They take the time to make it make sense, and I think that ultimately it may it may feel a little slow, but the payoff will be worth it. So stick with it. Um, I I have enough more than enough faith in Marvel to make that make sense and make the payoff worth it. So yeah, and it does feel a little bit like the hand's going to be the central point, which. Uh, you know, obviously would draw Daredevil in much easier from, from these other characters. So yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, man, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk about Daredevil season one and season two about his origin and uh, his history as a character. Yeah. And I tell you, I know uh, just as my last two cents, you had mentioned earlier, you kind of hinted at Karen page, hopefully not going in the way that she does in the comics, but born again is such a good, arc i would i would pay to watch that on television i'm not gonna lie i mean i i want to see that if you've never read those comics I, I would agree born again is a an arc that features karen page matt murdoch and uh it's worth checking out it's it's some of the stronger comic book storytelling of uh of that era for sure and it stands out and um there's no doubt how uh how that character is portrayed in those comics is shining through into the tv show as well so yeah, and I think that it would also give them an opportunity to do something different with Daredevil at that point in whatever, you know, whatever point that that arc comes in the television show's narrative to do something 
narratively different, that would be an easy way to do it. So, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for joining for this first episode of Hall Fights. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about the second series that Netflix released, uh, Jessica Jones, which stems out of the comic book series Alias. And we'll talk about what's it like to take a very adult comic book and bring it to uh, the Netflix stage to, uh, to be shown. So uh, with that in mind, uh, Mike, thanks again for being a part. Yes, sir. Anytime. And uh, we hope you guys will check out the rest of the Hall Fights as we move ever quickly towards the release of the Defender series on Netflix. Thanks, everybody. You've just listened to Hall Fights Daredevil. Thanks to Mike, you can follow him on Twitter at EarthNerdAdkins, as well as get the great content he creates on our website, NerdsOnEarth.com. Our theme song was created by our amazing sound engineer, Andrew Danielson who you can find at danielsonsound.com. Next up, Wit and I are going to talk about the rather unusual choice for the second Marvel Netflix show, Jessica Jones.